0: Paul, in this chapter, is beginning to apply the great grace of justification by faith alone, applying it to the Christian life. In the opening verses of this chapter, he points us to some of its fruits in the life of a Christian. There's peace, there's joy, and there is a hope that does not put us to shame. Verse 5. A hope that lies entirely ahead of us, that's what makes hope, hope. And God has said, we will not be put to shame as we wait for what we hope. It's a pretty bold claim. How do we know that will be the case? We're given a reason. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And in the verses we've just read, the Apostle says, let me tell you about that love. It's not your love for God, though every Christian does love God, but God's love for you. In replenishing supply, by the Holy Spirit's ministry in the heart and life of a Christian, this, Paul says, assures us that this hope will not put us to shame. I want us to think for the few minutes we have together about this love of God that preserves and sustains and keeps us to the end. Two things I want you to see with me about the love of God for us. First, the objects of God's love. Whom is it that God has loved? And we have four words that describe the kind of people that God has loved, the kind of people we were. We are, verse 6, weak. That word doesn't mean physical weakness. Some of us are, some of us aren't. It's moral weakness. This is a self-inflicted inability to do what is pleasing and right before God. Then ungodly, verse 6, the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Sinners, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For whom did Christ die? Those who were ungodly those who did not mirror God's holy character, who were a diameter apart from it. For sinners, for those who miss the mark, for those who willfully break God's commandments. And look at what Paul says in between in verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. We have wonderful examples of just this littered throughout human history. But that's not what Christ did when he mounted the cross. He died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. And then a fourth word, it's in verse 10, enemies. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There are no spiritual Switzerlands in the human race. You are for God or you are against God, and by nature we are against God. We have each by nature declared war against God. Paul says as much in the eighth chapter. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And God was our enemy. How does Paul open the argument of this letter, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men? These are the objects of God's love. How does this apply to us this afternoon? Do You ever stop to think about how great the love of God is? how different it is from the way love works in our world. People love each other in the world because we're related to each other, because we have common interests, because of some connection. But that's not why God loved us. Paul stresses again and again, God loved the unlovable. It's not there was nothing in us to love, but there was every reason in us for God not to love us. You know, we confess this with the mouth. Do you believe it in the heart? Most of us are in or preparing for Christian ministry. We have a particular temptation before us. You know, you have to do things in the Christian ministry. And if and as God blesses, you get to see the fruit of that ministry. And the temptation is you begin to look at that and say that's why God loves me. Now we do these things. We do them out of love to God. But Paul says the reason God's love you, God loves you has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has everything to do with him. God loved you because God loved you. And then for the times that we doubt the love of God to us, you're under some conviction of sin. You're in some deep sorrow and you ask the question, how could God love one like me? Well, you think back to what the apostle says here. Think back to the moment you first came to faith in Jesus Christ and ask yourself, am I worse than I was then? If God could love me then, show me mercy to me then as he did. Could I not receive mercy from him now? Could I not draw near to him and find him ready and waiting? That's the love of God, and it never changes. So the objects of God's love. The second thing we see is the provision of God's love. I wonder how you would finish the sentence. The greatest expression of the love of God in the whole world is, what would you say? The sunrise you saw this morning, a newborn baby in a crib in the hospital. Well, those are wonderful expressions of the goodness of God. But when the New Testament answers this question, it points to neither of those things And it points to the same thing time and again. The greatest expression of the love of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul brings us back to again and again. He does it here. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of death? Not a peaceful, quiet death in a hospital bed. An awful, shameful, painful, accursed death on a Roman tree. Why did he die? For us. Our substitute. Our sins laid on his holy shoulders. He took the death we deserved. what does that mean? Well, Paul gives us some words to help us understand what that means. Verse 9, justified. Justified by his blood. That's the price, the blood of Jesus Christ, for the likes of you and me to be counted righteous before God. He paid our debt. I read in the paper this spring that the nation of Zimbabwe issued a $1 trillion bill. Not million, not billion, trillion dollar bill. Think of that sum. Think of being indebted to that sum. But you could pay that off. You could never pay the debt of your sin off. But Jesus Christ paid the debts of sinners on the cross. Reconciled, verse 10, there's another word. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How were we reconciled? Did we just wake up one morning and decide to wave the white flag and seek terms of peace with God? That's not how it happened. God came to us when we were enemies, and we were reconciled to him through Christ. And what did he do with these reconciled enemies? He made us friends. Think about that. There is no name in the United States more synonymous with treachery than Benedict Arnold. Many of us know Benedict Arnold for his attempt to betray the American forces to the British in the American Revolution. Many of us don't know what happened afterwards. He moved to Canada. He moved to the United Kingdom. And he was unsung and untrusted for the rest of his life. Not hard to see why you don't trust a traitor. But God puts us into his family. He calls us into his service. He puts the greatest trust into the hands of his former enemies. So Paul says, see the love of God at the cross. Look at the love of God now. And then he says, there's more to come. Verse nine, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The day of judgment. Paul calls that day a day of wrath. And Paul says, Christian, you don't fear that day. You don't look at that day in despair. You are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus says you lift your heads high. The day of your redemption draws near. Paul says, you've been saved from wrath, look at verse 10. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You know, when Paul speaks of the life of Jesus, that's his resurrection life. It's a life for the likes of you and me. We've been saved for something a life of eternal fellowship and communion with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's all the gift of Christ. As we close, how does this apply to us? Why is Paul spending the time that he's spending on these themes? It's because Paul knows that Christians suffer. It's what we're called to. Paul was no stranger to suffering. Read Romans chapter 8. How do you press on in hard times? Maybe that's where you are this afternoon. How can you not be drowned by the waves of suffering that wash over your head? And God says, You look to my love, a love that will not let you go, laid hold on you in eternity past, was evident at the cross of Christ as at no other time, and will carry you to glory. God finishes what he starts, period. No exception. That's the only way you and I can push on day to day. How do you know if that love is getting through? Verse 11, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that word, it's the same word Paul uses in verse two and verse three. It's usually translated boast. I am looking at a room full of boasters. God made you to boast. And you will boast either in yourself or you will boast in God. Believer, your call is to boast in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In your heart, in your mouth, and in your life. Because of this love that you and I didn't deserve. And that has been freely poured out in Jesus Christ. How do you boast in this God? You fall in love with him who loved you and you tell out his praise and glory for the rest of your life and for eternity. Well, that's a long time. So let's just start now and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how we praise you. Underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. We can't fathom the love that you have shown us, are showing us, and will continue to show us. Set on us from before the foundation of the world, love that sent Jesus into the world, carried him to the cross, and that sustains us day by day. What a love to tell out. Father, may we be those who think often on your love and who would live and boast. What a great God we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.